Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hi everyone, this is Klaatu, you're listening to Chronicles and Commons, and in this episode I want to talk about technology of Barsoom. So I've been doing the Barsoom series lately, as you may or may not know, and uh, one of the things I haven't really touched on yet is what kind of what kind of gear and equipment they have on Barsoom. So first of all, as you've as you've possibly gleaned um, from from my descriptions of things so far, this is a, a, a this is basically a post-apocalyptic world. That's something that is pretty clear throughout the throughout the series that Mars is a dying world when we arrive on it with John Carter. And as I understand it, and I could be a little bit mistaken and maybe a historian could could set me straight on this, but as I understand it, Mars being a dying world was something that was kind of put forth pretty early on uh, in in history. I mean, Mars itself is has kind of been a known planet for for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was one of the original, you know, uh, sort of otherworldly bodies that people very early on recognized as as a thing. When they started really looking at it closely with with telescopes that were that, that were you know started to get more and more advanced, someone pretty early on, like the 1600s, maybe 1700s thought, hey, this could be, it might be a little bit later, actually, but either way, like, certainly before the 1900s, it was proposed by someone that, hey, Mars looks kind of like, like there could be, um, I think they thought that they were either canals or roadways, and they just kind of postulated that maybe it was a world that had existed and had fallen into decay. So, Edgar Rice Burroughs may have been riffing off of that idea, and so, there's kind of a weird um there are lots of different layers to this but there's kind of a weird sort of future regression happening on Barsoom or or there's that kind of indication that there might be a future a retro future on Mars and then of course on top of that and I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment but on top of that of course there's the fact that we are looking back at the future interpreted by someone in the 19 you know 1915 or so so lots of weird like you know even what they think would be advanced we think is is arch- archaic so there's there's that influence but just looking at Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, as he or at the Barsoom novels as as Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote them we can say that the technology on Mars was is is centered around fairly traditional quote unquote technology i guess you could even just call it mechanisms that that you wouldn't really think of as something in a science fiction setting. You'd think more of a fantasy setting. So you've got swords, lots of swords, you've got horses, and so on. There are some guns, they do make an appearance, but it, it seems that uh, the, uh, one of the favored weapons of, of the Martians um, over, over guns is... Is actually, you know, the swords and stuff. Um, and in fact, if my memory is accurate, and it rarely, rarely is, 
I don't remember there being guns in the later books. I remember there were guns in maybe the first, maybe two or three, and that was about it, as I recall. I mean, I, I wouldn't swear to that, and maybe a gun is mentioned here or there. But even in the first through the, the first three books, even then, it was it was very obvious that the preference was the sword, even though there were guns available. But for close combat and such, they just they they defaulted to swords, and there was a lot of close combat in the the first three books, and and that tended to be you know it was very sort of a a pirate type thing where even if you're um, or what I think of as pirate combat, even if you're far, you know far away, then your goal is to get close so that you can then switch to melee combat. So that that's a pretty standard uh, trope within the books that they just they really like the mono e mono kind of combat. Let's get up close and kill each other like civilized people. So lots of horses or or rather thoats, as you've learned in the, the previous episode, they are the exclusive means of ground transportation, as far as I, I, I can recall from any of the books, and certainly in the first three or five. So that's, that's the typical vehicle of choice, is a thoat. For hauling things around, you're more likely to see a, a larger beast of burden being used, such as a zitadar, which are the sort of big woolly mammoth-type creatures. Can't actually guarantee that they're woolly, I've always seen them as woolly mammoth type creatures. Either way, they're very large, they're very hefty, and they can pull a lot of weight. So none of that qualifies really as technology. The cities where they live are mostly, well I should say the cities where the green Martians live are mostly gutted out, sort of upcycled cities. As I've said before, I'm not entirely sure whether the Cities inhabited by the green Martians were gained by them through conquest, or whether they simply moved into them because the civilizations that had once thrived in them had kind of fallen into uh, ruin. I'm not 100% sure which, which interpretation we're meant to have, but that's where they exist, the green Martians. And then the red Martians have, uh, it is implied, a lot more structure to their cities, although each city is self is mostly self self-standing self um sort of an independent entity and that there's some suggestion that either a i guess a suggestion of a kingdom or a, a province because you'll you'll find places that when when they're first mentioned i i sort of imagined them as a city so for instance manator was in my mind a city until later in the the book in which that appears um, you you realize that there's a neighboring city called Manotage, but that the two cities are sort of one and the same. So it's almost like Manotage is a province of Manator, or maybe Manator and Manotage are both provinces of the the bigger Mano, Manator. So, for instance, Manator is the name of the kingdom. The capital city is Manator, and then there's another um, nearby city called Manotage that is, at, by by characteristic of being in the same kingdom, is is al an ally and a maybe even swears fealty to Manator. So I'm I'm not exactly sure about the the sort of social um, or, or or zoning laws of of these places. 
but there are let's call them kingdoms, and those are um, those seem to be features mostly of red Martians, although you kind of get some indication that yellow Martians have that as well up in the north. Oh, and white Martians as well. They they have that. Black Martians, I don't get the sense that they do. They, they seem to be those sort of under underground slash in the valley dwellers. And uh, the same goes for um, another group of Martians whom I've, I haven't really mentioned yet. So, and I will. I will mention these other Martians, these mysterious other Martians that I keep teasing at. So, um you have cities and and the ones that the 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 non-green martians and the non-black martians manage seem to be filled with modern conveniences more or less i mean there's not really great descriptions of uh, i don't know elevators and air conditioning i guess those are the two modern conveniences i can think of but you you never get the the sense that it's it's completely medieval either and in fact, I would say that you get the sense that it's it's on par, certainly with 1915 expectations. And that's just my my interpretation of the lack of anything saying otherwise. Now, one thing that they do have, and it's important to note this, and we are not and we're not completely sure of what kind of ramifications this has, but there is a discovery that Barsoom has made. The the different societies of Barsoom knows of this this energy called the Eighth Barsoomian Ray, or the Ray of Propulsion. And the Ray of Propulsion is what they use on Barsoom for their flying machines. And yes, they have flying machines. They have small one-man aircraft, and then they have great big galleons as well. And I'm, I'm not sure that I'm using the word galleon correct. Um, I'm not sure how big a galleon is. I just know that it's big and can hold lots of people. And so that's kind of what I'm uh, using to associate with what these are. Because um, these big flying machines, there, there are qu- there's quite a lot of action on them in the, uh, I guess, second and third book. I, maybe mostly the second, really, The Gods of Mars. And, and it's very much, I, I don't want to belabor too much the Star Wars um, analogies, but um, if you think of a one of Jabba the Hutt's barges, then you might kind of get the idea of what sort of size and probably more or less what kind of um, shape and, and spirit these flying machines on Barsoom take. Now, I, I can't really speak for the design, like the literal visual design, because Edgar Wright Burroughs doesn't go in, into it quite to that degree but we certainly know there's a deck where people can walk around there are there there's the ability to jump onto another um craft and board it and and have melee combat so you, you get the sense that it's it's not really like a blimp for instance so you, you can't you can't think of it as um yeah like a blimp because that would be inaccurate it's it isn't that, and I, I feel like the fact that the name of the city, the main city from which these, from, from when we are introduced to these fl- great flying machines, the name of the city is called Helium. So I think I feel like there's this, at least for me, there was this, there was this early desire to think of these great flying machines associating the name with of Helium with them, 
they must be filled with air or something, and they're kind of blimpy and big and round. But that wouldn't be correct because these are very easy. You can just, you can walk on top of them. You can walk around, fight people, kick them off, and so on. So I, I think it's more like a flat deck, like a like a sailing ship probably, but propelled in some way by this eighth Barsoomian ray. All the eighth Barsoomian ray apparently can do is propel. Now, presumably, it propels buoyant uh, objects. So if it's something that already floats, then it can be propelled by the eighth ray. I assume that the object has to harness the energy of the eighth ray somehow willfully, and that if you throw something into the air, the eighth ray doesn't just grab it and, and propel it. That's I think I feel like that's a safe assumption. Now I'm I'm not 100% sure whether the whether the harnessing of the eighth ray has to be mechanical or whether it can be I don't know something other than that. For instance, the reason John Carter can jump to great heights, which by the way kind of fades out of it, kind of falls out of uh, the story really as by the like the second it starts to trail off in the second starts to really trail off in the third i mean i think john carter might use the ability sometimes but it's not really a thing after a while it kind of gets um quietly dropped so the fact that he can jump to great heights is because apparently because he's from earth and he's used to uh different gravity or something like that and so he can he can make these great leaps and bounds on on barsoom now, I don't know, for instance, because it, it is described that he can jump very, very far. So, to me, it almost suggests that he is somehow harnessing the Aether Ray. But I could be wrong about that. And here's one great reason that I could be wrong. In a way, these the Aether Ray and this Ninth Ray that I haven't mentioned yet is really just a form of solar energy. And the the Aether Ray and the Ninth Ray um, are are really it's it's essentially ultraviolet light or or yeah ultraviolet light um i I mean you could probably argue that it was x-ray but um i think it's it's really fairer to say that it's ultraviolet so and i don't know when ultraviolet was discovered and so on but the idea here is that the eighth and the ninth ray are, are it's the it starts at the eighth because there are already seven in front of it which is our uh red orange, yellow, R, Roy, G, green, B, blue, indigo, and violet. So the colors of the rainbow are there. And then beyond the spectrum of visible color or light is um, this eighth ray, which for whatever reason propels things that are floating, and a ninth ray which propels or, or drives machinery. We see the ninth ray in action. We'll see. We don't really see it, but we, we see... The, the fruits of harnessing the ninth ray in the factory where air is produced for Barsoom. As I've said, Barsoom is a dying world. Its atmosphere is fading. And in order to uh, continue the, the atmosphere, in order to, to sustain it, uh, they had to build a bunch of machines that would continuously produce air for the entire planet. This is at the very end of the first book. You get a, a pretty good tour inside of this of this factory, and you understand that the ninth ray is separated from the other rays of the sun by means of finely adjusted instruments placed upon the roof of the huge building 
three quarters of which is used for reservoirs in which the ninth ray is stored. This product is then treated electrically, or rather certain proportions are of, of refined electric vibrations are incorporated with it, and the result is then pumped to the five principal air centers of the planet where, as it is released, contact with the ether of space transforms it into atmosphere. So a bunch of technobabble, 1915 style, and it really, really works. So that's the ninth ray at, at work. Now, why they don't use the ninth ray for machinery within their cities, I don't know. But then again, we also don't know that they don't use the ninth ray in their cities. And I think it's it's quite possible that they do, that, that it's just kind of glossed over. And again, just sort of the expectations of someone writing about the future in 1915 would probably realistically and reasonably incorporate the modern conveniences of 1915. So you might not have a refrigerator, but you might have an ice box. I'm assuming, yes, ice was absolutely invented by, by then. I know this because Back to the Future 3 had ice. Um, so there's little things, you know, radios and, and communication devices, whatever. There are things in cities, I'm assuming, that you would just think, okay, this is set in the future. I'm in 1915, so the future looks like this. So that's kind of what I'm ima- I imagine when I think of the cities. And if you've ever seen any kind of bad black and white science fiction Buck Rogers serial from the not not serial like breakfast serial, but serialized fiction from the early early days of cinema, then you may have some idea of what I of, of what I mean. And I think it's reasonable to expect that yeah, there's there's electricity and and rudimentary technology at play within the cities. So eighth ray for propulsion, ninth ray for I guess electricity slash um, mechanation, and that as far as we know, that's that's as many rays as there are. There's the the light spectrum. There's the eighth ray for propulsion, ninth for mechan for mechanization, and that's it. Now whether or not that is it, obviously could be up to you as the story creator here, but certainly Barsoom lays claim to eight, nine, that's it. I think that's it for technology, too. I mean, there's not a whole lot more I can say outside of of here's how they derive all of their power for Mars. I mean, it's all in the sun, obviously. I think, in a way, this is this is really, really excellent fiction. This this I mean, this is brilliant, I think, science fiction fodder. You know, this is, I mean, the techno babble of splitting rays of the sun and harnessing that energy. I mean, no one can argue with that. That's brilliant. And and furthermore, the more we learn about energy, you know, the more some of that almost makes sense. Just kind of like, well, was he kind of talking about about radioactivity? I mean, is that what he was kind of driving at? Was that what he was thinking? Was he thinking of um of 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 actual like cosmic waves in space, like the actual movement of of particles through space? based on gravity like what was he who knows what he was thinking of but it all sort of works out it, it all kind of it starts to sort of formulate somehow into yeah that actually sounds right and none of it involves microchips or anything like that like you don't have to you don't have to sort of go down this fractilian kind of just trust me at some point little circuits are breaking and making bigger things happen it's it's all very natural and kind of well, there's a machine that gathers energy from the sun and then makes stuff happen. 
like that we we have a very very real life sort of equivalent to and whether you divide it into eight or nine or 13 rays doesn't really matter you can come up with all kind of array for this array for that you know like who cares we we can we can we can use a prism to split up the rays of the sun and and call them whatever we need to for whatever situation the fiction requires it's i think it's it's just a super elegant way to tackle technology and and barsoom of of the of the many great ideas that the barsoom novels c- contain i think that that the basis for the technology is one of the kind of the the more intriguing ones i mean it's it's almost maria corelli kind of kind of logic i mean it, it's ever so slightly mystical and sort of like just have faith that nature has this ability we just need to know how to harness it but it also has uh, just enough nature where it does make sense and there's a lot of flexibility in that because we all know that we don't know everything about nature so who knows what's possible i think that's it for me uh next episode will be about some very specific events in the barsoom novels and that'll be it i think so for the for the year for everything thanks for listening i'll talk to you next time that's it for this week's episode thank you very much for listening my name is Klaatu you can reach me uh, via email at Klaatu at member.fsf.org you can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu I'm on the Freenode network thank you very much for listening and I'll talk to you next time